0: From the Center for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn, a podcast produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Thomas Phillips. Swarms of animals can wreak havoc. Just think of piranhas swarming their prey, or locusts descending on farmland. But sometimes swarming behavior can be benign, even beneficial. This week, we'll hear about hordes of animals from both ends of the spectrum, from pests running amok to endangered species swarming to fuel biodiversity. This is the seventh and final episode in our Swarm series, which was developed with mentors from All the Best. The stories were produced for the Science Gallery's Swarm Exhibition, which is now open. First up, dear who on a misunderstood endangered mammal whose swarming we should actually be grateful for, flying foxes.
1: I am walking on the nature trail, heading to the bat colony. Now I can see some bats hanging upside down the trees. It is winter now. There are not so many people visiting this site. There are some people passing by the viewing point and said it was amazing. I am currently walking on the bat conservation area. And here
2: we can hear some noise of bats. They haven't started flying until now. They're beautiful to look at and they're actually really fun. If you watch them for a while, they're like naughty children. Nicole Smith
1: is a nature lover and contemporary painter. She's also a fan of flying foxes.
2: There's been a lot of publicity about the good work that the flying foxes do for the ecology and, you know, for our environment. So I think for every person that really dislikes them, there's probably other people willing to protect them.
1: More and more bats are swarming in the city at night, which made some people fearful of them. But those flying foxes brought happiness and relaxation to
2: Nico. The day that I was there that you're referring to that post, I could overhear someone saying how disgusting they were. So, I mean, I really loved them. That lady really disliked them. And certainly COVID was not good.
1: Extreme weather events linked to the climate crisis are the main reason for the loss of habitat.
2: Well, we do monitor the colony fairly regularly just to make sure all the bats are quite happy. Um, and during summer, um, on days that are above 40 degrees, the bats really struggle with the heat. So climate change is one of the big drivers as the flying foxes were uh, declining, the numbers are declining. So at the moment, they're federally sort as of vulnerable, which is one step down from endangered.
1: Erica Fizi tothop is a scientist and she's also a volunteer in Yarban Park. She reveals the main reason for flying foxes driving into the city.
2: Their normal diet is eucalyptus flowers and native fruits. As we kind of clear forests for farming and clear forests for logging and things like that, they're driven into the city where the, that's their last resort for food and fresh water. So that's why you'll often find them roosting near rivers, which is what we have at Yarraben, and which is why they're going into people's backyards and eating their, the fruit from their fruit trees. They just don't have anything left in the wild. So that's kind of forcing them into the cities and, and creating this conflict between people living in the cities.
1: Why do they swarm every evening? According to Melbourne's box monitoring program, flying foxes are nocturnal, so at night they will fly away from their home roost to find food, then come back to their home roost in the morning. They are social animals and have some social hierarchy. Roosting in big groups can also help with predator avoidance.
2: People try using loud noises and lights and smoke. So these these kind of measures to scare off a colony and prevent them from coming back just don't work long-term because they're so nomadic.
1: Changing habitats has been dangerous for the bad population. One of the main reasons is power lines.
2: One of the more common reasons we get is electrocution, but the pup will actually survive 95% of the time. In those circumstances, we will normally have to call the power company and then we'll take the pup in and hand-raise the pup. We'll get a few pups that do just fall off bum and get found on the ground for whatever reason. The big reason we get orphan pups in is what we call heat events.
1: The moon is shining and its pale light reaches into the forest. The voices from the swarming of bats have been wakening. People should know how important the coexistence of human and flying forces and their impact on our environment and
0: life. That was Dear Who. Next, Harry Sekulich reports on how one of Australia's most iconic native animals has become a public nuisance.
2: I feel like I'm an elementary school teacher and immediately as kids think and as we've been growing up, thinking about kangaroos, immediately we think of Australia and I think for Canadians it's like that novelty of what like Australia is and those first associations that we make with countries that are so far away.
3: Foreigners like Tori Van Staben see kangaroos as Australia's beloved national animal. But for decades, kangaroos have been considered a pest in Australia, and their swelling population is making the roads riskier. For Sydney cider Andy Illedge, driving at dusk with her boyfriend on a country road turned into a bumpier ride than she had expected.
2: We like, saw in the distance a kangaroo hop across the road and we were going probably like 80. So we slowed down to, I'm going to say 50-ish. And then we like, didn't see it again. It wasn't by the road. And basically as we went past that spot that we saw it, it jumped like into my car, like not in front of us, like almost on top of my bonnet, broke my side mirror and then hopped away.
3: While dusk is peak hour for kangaroo traffic, Simone Haywood learnt that dawn is just as dangerous while driving from Melbourne to Sydney early in the morning with her husband and two young kids aged three and seven.
4: I was just driving, it's like a dual highway. There was literally no one else on the road, no one, I couldn't see anyone in front or anything and I was driving and just came out of the corner of my eye on my right hand side, this... Probably a medium sized kangaroo just hopped straight in front of us, like literally right and smashed the front half of our car. I just screamed. I literally was like, you know, swore out loud because it, it probably, I saw it bounce and then it took its second bounce and hit us mid air. So there was literally no warning and we were at doing 110. Um, but it sort of just hit our car, rolled and then just kept jumping. Like it almost like, it didn't affect the kangaroo in
3: any way. There are many stories of kangaroos hopping off scot-free as Transport Victoria reports only one in five kangaroo-related accidents result in the animal's death. But Cohen Johnston was not so lucky. With only a week to move from Townsville to Melbourne after getting a scholarship for his pilot's license, Cohen was eager to make the 27-hour trip down the middle of Australia as fast as possible
5: was driving like 14 hour days and so I'd start when it was dark and finish when it was dark and um, I stopped at a town called uh, St. George and I had a drink and I stretched my legs and I thought I'll just go to the next I'll just get to the next town before I stop for the night and uh, I kept going and that was a bad idea because it was just kangaroos everywhere and I'd slowed down to the point where I was doing about 70 or 80 on the highway, and I'm thinking I'll do it, you know, with that bit of extra caution, I'd be fine. And um, sure enough, one large grey kangaroo must have been going full tilt to make a perfect intersection with my car, and I couldn't see because it, it was dark and there was scrub each side of the road. So all I saw, I actually dipped my headlights for the car coming the opposite direction. And as soon as that other car passed, I went to go full high beams again. The kangaroo jumped in on my front left headlight and it, I hit it right as it was um, at the low point of its bound. There are 80 odd kilo ball of meat, and that's quite low. And uh, it went into my car just underneath the headlight and completely ripped the whole bumper off the car. Needless to say, poor old Skippy wasn't much left him.
3: In 2019, Amy Insurance revealed kangaroos caused 83% of all wildlife road accidents in Australia. Kangaroos are swarming the roads more and more with the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning estimating Victoria's current kangaroo population to be at roughly 2 million, up by 40% in the last three years. International travellers like Tori may not be bouncing up and down to get onto our roads after learning of the kangaroo menace. A lot
2: of Canadians or, you know, people from North America are already terrified of the many snakes and spiders that you guys have over there. And our minds, just so bizarre that to have a kangaroo just jump in front of your car, you know, I don't, we don't really think of it anywhere close to, to people or where people live.
0: That was Harry Sekulich. In our final story, Beck Pridham investigates the mysterious reasons why bees swarm and how climate change is altering their behaviour.
6: I've always found bee colonies somewhat mesmerising, seemingly powered by a greater force working together as a superorganism. I wanted to know what drives bees to swarm. Are they just hardwired to?
7: So swarming is an instinct in the bee. It's actually built into their psyches. And the reason why they swarm is because they do.
6: That's Leon Vernau, an and member of the Beekeepers' Society of South Australia. So swarming is where bees leave the colony for a new home. They don't travel far, typically only 10 to 15 metres away from the mother colony. And it's no spur of the moment decision. It's planned out.
7: The day you don't think they're going to swarm they swarms. So they've got some scouts. The scouts will go out probably a fortnight before they already know where they're gonna go. So when they swarm, the location where that swarm's gonna go has already been determined.
6: So why do they swarm? Sandra Orwich, a beekeeper of 10 years and founder of Adelaide Bee Sanctuary, says it's still not well understood and can be triggered
4: by a number of things. There could be that there is a congestion in the hive of adult bees. It could be that you've got an older queen in the hive and there's a propensity for that gene pool to want to swarm every year. They also swarm to go somewhere with a richer nectar source.
6: Whatever the reason, it's a sight to behold, between five and 10,000 bees flowing out of the hive like a water torrent.
4: They fly, but they fly in a swirling motion. So you can stand in the middle of it and you can pretend that you're in some sort of tornado, For Sandra, being in the middle of a swarm is Nirvana. They just fly around you. Some of them land on you, but there's no aggression. The word spiritual, it's not descriptive enough.
6: Once they arrive, they huddle together in a lump. It varies in size, from a fist to a basketball. And in the middle is the most important being, the queen.
7: So they're trying to protect her. They're looking after her. Even though it looks like a bit of a mess, just little bees hanging on each other's legs, that's what's happening. She's a hard little girl to see. She's fairly elusive.
6: They haven't left the hive for their forever home. They're between places, and where they'll squat is far from
4: regal. Electrical boxes, wine barrels, cupboards, compost heaps, barbecues, under trampolines, bird boxes. The list goes on. They hang tight until the scout bees find a more suitable abode.
6: Like many creatures, bees work in sync with the seasons. But beekeepers have noticed that the swarming season is changing.
7: So they're not going to swarm now. They won't swarm to about September and swarm through to probably around December. But what's happened because of the funny weather we were having, they've been swarming to about March. So that's the swarming season.
6: That the swarming season is changing struck me as fascinating, and I wondered how climate change fit into the picture. I looked into it. According to Bees for Development, the specialist international beekeeping organisation, unpredictable weather conditions and insufficient forage encourage swarming and when there's not enough food about bees spend more time in their hive,
4: overcrowding it and triggering that swarming instinct. The problem with swarming is that the queen and two-thirds of the bee population that leave the mother colony will need to find an alternative place to call home so it needs to be dark, dry and warm and Those bees need to build up their colony to full strength in readiness for winter. Now, if there's no nectar flow coming on because of climate change and then bees can't strengthen their colony, then you have dwindling and dying out colonies.
6: And it's not only the new hive that's at risk. Back at the mother hive, things aren't peachy either. They're waiting for their new queen to hatch and get frisky.
4: Now, she hasn't been mated yet. She's still a virgin. Global warming will affect her mating flight. If there are no drones out, she won't mate properly.
6: But climate change mightn't be the only reason why swarming behaviour is changing in the Adelaide region. Sandra has an alternate theory. She thinks it's down to the rise in urban beekeeping.
4: If you have swarming bees because, first of all, your hive isn't managed well and or it's been influenced by climate change, you are contributing to these other issues of bees moving into areas that aren't necessarily meant for them. She thinks the swarms caught in the urban environment should be handed over to commercial
6: beekeepers to be put to work pollinating crops. (coughs) While we can get an idea, it seems we'll never truly understand swarming. Bees really live their own secret lives.
0: That was Beck Pridham. The artist is from the Center for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. A massive thank you to Dearhu, Harry Sekulich, Beck Pridham, the Science Gallery, and all the best. Our executive producer is Louisa Lynn. See you next week.